Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. And here's Pastor Ben to introduce today's message. Greetings and welcome to our program. I have some exciting news for our listeners today. In light of all that's taking place in our world, I've decided to pause the current series so we can bring you what I believe is a timely and necessary new Bible series I'm calling The Lion Revealed. It's a verse-by-verse overview of the book of Revelation, and I believe God's calling us to this fascinating letter that was originally written to the first century church, but also for preparing and equipping the church today. It's a captivating story of the Apostle John being taken up into heaven to witness and record some of the most captivating and ominous events that planet Earth will ever experience after believers are raptured up into the presence of the Lord. We've seen Jesus as the Lamb, now we'll see him as the Lion. I hope you'll tune in each week here on Restored for Life as we make our way through this intriguing book. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. What if God transported you up to heaven in a vision and pulled back the curtain of time to reveal the future of the world and how it all would end? How awesome in the truest sense would that be? Well, that happened to the Apostle John, and he wrote about it in the book of Revelation. As John begins to write, it's been roughly 65 years since Jesus ascended back into heaven after his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. Most of the eyewitnesses to his ministry and miracles have long since died, many brutally at the hands of Roman tyrants. Outside the church, a homicidal maniac has become Caesar, and Titus rules the known world, demanding that he be worshipped and referred to as Lord and God. His hatred for Christians knows no bounds, and he persecutes them without mercy as a perverted form of entertainment for him. Inside the church are largely first-generation Christians struggling to maintain their new faith. They believe Jesus is coming back, but it's been over 60 years since His departure. Alongside of them are self-serving schemers and false prophets, wolves as Peter and Paul would call them, looking to pervert the gospel that was so carefully and purposefully delivered to the church. Thirty-five years prior to this letter, the much-beloved Apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome for his faith in Christ and his refusal to renounce him as both Lord and Savior, a term now only reserved for Titus the emperor. The church is struggling under the weight of all of this and much more when a letter arrives from the Apostle John, who is still exiled on the Isle of Patmos. John is like a father to them. He's the hero of their faith and their last direct connection and eyewitness 
to Jesus Christ. Listen closely, my friends. Revelation was not written to tickle the ears of the curiosity seekers. It was written to people hanging on the end of their last thread of hope. Fearful people need a fearless hero. And for the downtrodden and fearful Christian, Jesus fulfills this role completely. My goal and purpose in teaching this awesome, if not daunting, book of the Bible is to keep it simple and focused on the one true hero of our story. You see, it would be a grave mistake on our part to get so caught up in trying to guess the person of the Antichrist, to, to search for the hidden meaning of who the beast is, or, or to argue timelines and numbers that we miss the hero and Savior, Jesus Christ, in our story. This is why early on I changed the title of my series from the end of days, that's what it was going to be called. But as soon as I got into chapter 1, I realized it's not about the end of days. It's about the lion revealed. It's about Jesus Christ. It always has been. There are doctrinal differences among Christians who I love and deeply respect, and we will look at some of those differences briefly. Uh, for those wanting a deeper dive, let me direct you to two of my favorite authors on the topic, and that is Dr. David Je uh, Jeremiah, my friend, my mentor, my, my father of the faith, if you will. He's taught me so much about the Word of God, and especially eschatology. And then along with Dr. Ed Heinsohn, uh, also another great, fantastic writer who has impacted me greatly as well. So let's dive into the introduction of Revelation. I always like to introduce the book before we go to it. First, let's look at the author. The author. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place. Now this word shortly literally means in quick succession once started. So people will say, what do you mean shortly? You just said it's been almost 2,000 years since these words were written. That's not shortly. But what the Greek words, this is why Greek is so important to grasp onto. This is why um, uh, it's, it's so important to pull apart the Word of God and understand it. The word shortly here means in quick succession once started. It hasn't started yet. But when it does, it will happen in quick succession or shortly. And he sent and signified it, the word, this, this revelation, he, he signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now John authored five letters, including this one, Revelation was written, as I said, somewhere in the mid-90s, um, probably around 95 A.D. John and his brother James had been close disciples of Jesus throughout his ministry years. James, of course, was the first martyred disciple, and John would suffer beatings and eventually be exiled to this rocky and unforgiving island in the Aegean Sea. 
Deb and I just love the ocean, and I love to be out on the sea in a boat. That's one of my favorite things. I told her when we were dating, I'm never more relaxed than when I'm in a boat out in the ocean. And I think John loved the ocean as well. It's interesting to note last week that um, I read as I was reading, I came to, to learn that John uses the word sea, S-E-A, some 26 times in this letter And that shouldn't surprise us since he's surrounded by one. God gave John the message through a vision, often through an angel or through Jesus himself, sometimes through an elder and sometimes through an unidentified voice. Whatever means God used, he signified it, which means he used signs and miracles to to confirm its validity and trustworthiness. John uses a lot of symbolism in his writing. Symbolism stands the test of time, and it evokes strong emotions in the reader. John paints with graphic colors, utilizing these symbolic things. Some are fully explained to us, while others remain a mystery that we'll only know about fully in heaven. So first, in our introduction, we're introduced to the author, and second, we're introduced to the readers. Who are the readers? Verse 3. Blessed, or rewarded, is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, if you were to pull out the key words in this verse, it would be read, hear, and keep. Revelation is the only book that promises a blessing or a reward for those that read it. But there are three conditions to receiving this blessing. So I know that you want to know what those are so that you get blessed. Number one, you must read it. You must read it. In the Greek it says literally it means to read out loud. So we're reading it out loud this morning. And then you must hear it or understand it. It means to thoroughly have a grasp on what it's saying. So we have to study it. And then number three, we must keep it or obey it. Understanding without obedience is just useless information. Third, we're introduced to the churches. We're introduced to the churches. Look down at Verse 4, John, authors would write in their day, they would begin with their name as signifying who is this letter from. Nowadays, we, well, we don't write letters, do we? But if we did, we would sign it at the bottom. Our emails are probably signed at the bottom. You have to skip down and many, sometimes many pages to find out who's writing me this. But right here in their time, they began with who wrote it. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Now, as stated before, the saints receiving this letter didn't need to have their curiosity tickled. They didn't need uh, to, to understand all that 
uh, people are asking about nowadays with numbers and all these other things. They're important, but they're not what they needed. They needed the supernatural peace and hope that only comes from God. Remember, these are people that are being tormented, persecuted, murdered. They needed to read, understand, and obey the Word in order to be strengthened and encouraged in their faith. Now, the number seven is important and permeates this book. It is the number that represents completeness. For example, there are seven churches. There are seven seals. There's seven trumpets. There's seven vials. There's uh, seven stars. There's seven lampstands. We're going to read about those last two shortly here. God addresses seven churches listed here individually, and we see strengths and weaknesses in His assessments of each one. Some believe that these seven churches represent the church throughout seven periods of history of the church age from the first century to today. And that may be true, but I believe that all seven are represented in various congregations today. But we ought to be reminded that God is aware of our lives, both personally as well as congregationally. And we want to be moving ever closer to Him through our our obedience to His Word. And while you don't need to be fearful, I do want to tell you that as the time is ticking down, we know the end of the story. The world, this earth, does not end on a good note. And when things are getting tougher and tougher, and as we're seeing history and we're seeing the Bible played out right before our eyes as Russia begins to move, perhaps for the Ezekiel 38 war, who knows? There could be a a World War III that's not written. You know, uh, God only reveals things that have to do with His people, with the Jews specifically, or with His children. So He didn't prophesy World War I or II, of course. That doesn't have to do with the history that we're talking about in the Middle East, biblical history. So there could be a World War III that Russia is about to start here. But it also could be the Ezekiel 38 war when they move down and move on to, to, uh, to Israel to invade Israel. Uh, anyway, that's a rabbit I better not chase right now. We'll be here till tomorrow. But we ought to be reminded that our God is aware of our lives and we want to be moving ever closer to Him. Things are going to get a little tough. Things are going to get hard in this world Now is not a good time to be outside the church wandering around. Now is not a good time to leave your sword at home. Now is not a good time to take your armor off. The battle's beginning, and you want to be ready. Now is the time that we come together and we link our arms together as a church. This is why the author of Hebrews said, you know, don't stop going to church. Don't stop gathering together as that that day, the capital D, approaches we want to be linked together we want to remain strong all the way to the end third in our introduction we're introduced to the churches and fourth we're introduced to the ones to which it is dedicated if you're a book reader like i am or whether you whether or not at some point you've read books you know that when the author writes a book oftentimes probably 99 percent of the time he dedicates it to someone That's not uncommon. That's very common. And John is no different. Revelation is no different here. We see it here. 
Let's look at who it's dedicated to. Verse 4, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. So the first person dedicated, it's dedicated to, is our eternal God, the Father. Let's keep reading. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Next, it's dedicated to the Holy Spirit. Remember, the, seven, the number seven represents completeness. There aren't seven Holy Spirits. What he's saying here is the number seven represents completeness. So we see the Spirit in this book in all His fullness. And, and verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Finally, the letter is dedicated to the Son, Jesus Christ. It is fitting that Jesus is mentioned last in order to give a, a fuller view here. After all, He's the hero of this story. Let's continue. To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now, to Him who loved us, that word is in the past. That's a past uh, we're loved. In the Greek, when you write this particular word in this tense, it's pointing back to a specific moment, a specific situation. It's not saying that Jesus loved us back then, but doesn't now. No, he, Jesus is saying, when I, I loved you back then, and he's talking about a specific case. In this case, Jesus is saying, in effect, I loved you when you were sinners by washing your sins away with my sacrificial and atoning blood and the outcome for those believing and receiving. And that love, verse 6, He has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is described as the firstborn raised from the dead. Now, there are people that say, wait a minute, He wasn't the firstborn. Jesus Himself raised Lazarus from the, death, uh, from the dead. So why, are, why does this say that Jesus is the firstborn? There were others that were raised to life in the Bible from the dead. No, let me explain this. The word firstborn here describes preeminence. Not talking about the first one out of the birth canal. No, we're talking about the preeminence over all others. So it literally means here that He is the highest of all who will ever be born again. He has preeminence. And here we see Jesus as both King of kings and priest of priests. He is the highest of all that will be firstborn or be born again. Fourth, we're introduced to the ones to which it is dedicated. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as we just read. And, and fifth, we're introduced to the reason for the letter. Here's the reason for the letter. Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. Or so be it. The overarching reason for this letter is to provide the reader and listener, the persecuted and disappointed believers, then and now, with the assurance and hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. 
These people back in 95 AD are watching their fellow believers, some being drugged off and murdered, some others being taken to the Colosseum in Rome and, and fed to lions. They're, they're watching this happen before their very eyes. What they need is hope. And they're getting it here. Notice what's written. The event described here in verse 7 is Christ's second coming. They needed to be reminded this is not all there is. There is a life that is coming. Jesus is coming back. Hold on a little longer. Hang in there a little tighter. Get, draw the troops in. You know, Link arms a little tighter as that day approaches. Don't wander off. Stay together. He's talking about that day, the second coming here, expounded upon in chapter 19, so I'll wait to get into that deeper later, when the whole of humanity will see Jesus coming back rather than the rapture when only believers will see and hear Christ when He comes as a thief in the night described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. It's also described in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It's described in Revelation 3, 3. And it's described in Revelation 16.15. Did you get all those? (laughs) The rapture describes Christ coming in the clouds and resurrecting both the living and the dead in Christ. Up to Himself, we join Him in the clouds and we're taken to glory. Versus Christ's second coming later on when we believers who are already in heaven come back with Him. It's described that we go with Him when He comes back to bring judgment on the earth. And it's then, it's in full view of everyone. Every eye will see Him on that day. The two pictures here are called a pre-millennial view of end times um, events. And I believe it, it makes the most sense while some Christians believe that on the earth that, uh, that we'll suffer through the tribulation post and pre uh, tribulation, I'm sorry, tribulation view. I personally believe that there's more and better evidence that the next appointment we believers on God's calendar have of end times events is the rapturing away, or in the Greek, the snatching away, or the sudden, in the blink of an eye of God's people. I think that's next. Verse 8, let's continue. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. They needed to be reminded that God has always existed. He pre-exists time. And He will be there at the end of time. He will always exist. And to the persecuted church of the first century, those words had to bring great comfort to them as they suffered greatly. They needed to be reminded that their God is almighty. He's ruling on the throne, even now, always has. There's never been a moment when when God said, oh no, look what Putin's doing. Oh no, now what's going to happen? No, He uses everything in His perfect plan. He knows exactly what's happening, and what is going to happen next. He's trustworthy. We can trust Him. We can can go forward with faith and a boldness. And almost 2,000 years later, they still comfort us as we work while we await the return of Christ. And this verse reminds us that our God is in complete control. 
and reigning righteously on His throne. God is eternally pre-existent. He has always existed. But however, in, t- in eternity, He drew a timeline that began in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation 21. He decided to create all that we see and experience. He created you and He created me. He created a timeline. And when it reaches the end, God will continue to exist because He is eternal. He is the Alpha, as as the Lord just told us. He is the Alpha, which is the first letter of the Greek alphabet because He was at the beginning of creation. He is at the beginning. He is the Alpha. Well, we've been introduced to the author, the reader's, the churches that it's written to, and it is something that is really amazing. What the church was going through in the first century, however, is not unlike, I believe, what the church is going through in many parts of the world today. As we see Russia invade Ukraine, uh, believers there are are just being uh, persecuted beyond belief. There's a lot going on in our world. You've got China, you've got North Korea, So many reasons to be fearful, but John has written this book, guided by the Holy Spirit, to give us hope to get through whatever it is that's facing our planet even now. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue on in The Lion Revealed. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.